Welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. Let us help you escape your mind. Folks, welcome back to Mike Morris's Mind Escape. We have episode number 249 uh, tonight. Uh, this is the first episode of a new series we are starting. Uh, it's called Paradigm Shifters. I, I mentioned this in the past where we're going to go through and discuss uh, some of the top minds throughout history and how they've shaped humanity and uh, science, technology, philosophy, uh, and just, you know, altered humanity and positive ways um so tonight we're going to be discussing j robert oppenheimer uh who was the head of the manhattan project and uh the manhattan project is the um the project that developed the atomic bomb during world war ii uh so this should be an interesting episode and actually uh if you've been paying attention uh christopher nolan has been working on a movie called oppenheimer it should be out i think next summer uh, which is based on the book where a lot of the information that I sourced for this episode uh, was taken from. It's called American Prometheus, and I highly recommend that book. So if you have not already, uh, go download American Prometheus on Audible, buy the book, uh, do whatever you got to do, but go check that out. Um, before we get started here tonight, if you are interested, I'm not going to go through the whole spiel, but... Um, we have all of our stuff to support the show on our link tree down below. So if you want to support our show, we've got a Patreon. Um, we've, you know, the Patreon has exclusive episodes on there. We've got a merch store. Uh, if you want to leave us a nice review on Spotify or iTunes or a- Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate that. Uh, we are going to do the T-shirt giveaway again. I just haven't had time to figure that out yet, so I will announce that. Uh, next episode um and uh you know we tried to do one the other night um with uh daniel um and uh, we were having some connection issues so we're gonna have daniel back on uh maybe next week or later this week we're gonna try and squeeze that in uh on wednesday um at uh, 2 30 p.m eastern time uh we're gonna have bobby azarian on who is the author of the book um the Romance of Reality. Uh, he was recently on uh, Rogan not that long ago, and we're going to be talking about uh, life and complex systems in the universe and all sorts of great stuff uh, pertaining to metaphysics and physics and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I'm just trying to think. Uh, shout out to Shane. Uh, buddy Shane from uh, Twitter is going to be helping a lot with this stuff. So, um Going forward, Maurice and I have a busy couple months coming ahead of us with the documentary and just personal things going on. Uh, so anybody else that you know wants to reach out and help in any sort of way, feel free to send us a message or an email. Uh, but again, shout out to Shane. Uh, and uh, yeah, we've been doing. A, I've been doing a lot of Twitter Spaces too. If anybody's interested, uh, follow me on Twitter at Mike Escape. Uh, and we've been doing tons and tons of Twitter spaces, which are super uh, interesting and fun. So go check that out. Uh, but what's going on, Maurice? How are you? Yo, yo. Doing well. What's the good word? Nothing much. Just moved. Set up a new studio. Um, working out 
the uh, the um, technical difficulties, which are, are abundant when you set up your desk. I could I set everything up the exact same way as I had it before, and of course there's some sort of issues, and you got to go through and work those bugs out, you know. So yes, sir. I know you've got a new system as well, so we'll both be working out the uh, kinks here um, in the next couple of weeks, I'm sure. So be patient with us, everyone. We're we're figuring it out, and we'll get back on track and get in the groove again here. Um, but yeah, so this is part of our new series, as I mentioned before. It's called Paradigm Shifters. Um, you know, the, the term paradigm shift was popularized by uh, American philosopher Thomas Kuhn, who's the author of... Uh, the structure of scientific revolutions. Most people don't know that. Uh, But the idea is older, you know, like you can go back to, um, you know, even like Allegory of the Cave, Plato's Allegory of the Cave for this idea of paradigm shifting um, stuff. So uh, I thought that this would be a good one because it's something, um, I don't know why I got into this topic recently, but I was just so curious about, uh, the atomic bomb and the Manhattan Project, and there's something like um, very interesting to me about Oppenheimer. Um, not just his work as a scientist, but just who he was as a person. So that's why I really recommend American Prometheus, because yeah, it talks about all about the Manhattan Project and the secrecy aspects and the scientific aspects of the uh, atomic bomb. But it also goes into his personal life, like who was he before, who was he after, what did the whole process do to him and stuff. So uh, I find that I found that very, very fascinating. Um, so what I would like to do is just kind of start through, I'm not going to go through um, the whole thing, but I thought we'd go over some main points from like his early life, work our way through the Manhattan Project, and then, you know, what happened later in his uh, career in life and go from there. I mean, wh- what did you, good. what did you think, uh, or have you ever thought about uh, this topic, Maurice? About the the A bomb? Yeah, the atomic bomb, or you know, the the process, or anything like that. Has that ever crossed your mind? Uh, I've thought probably less about the actual uh, construction of it, but more of the the effects that 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 ensued after the dropping of it. I'm a big World War II buff, so. Um, I think actually a D-Day was just pretty recently. Obviously, that's not when the bomb was dropped, but I think that was it. That's in August, I think. But uh, yeah, man, it's pretty interesting. It's uh, you get hired to do something, and I don't know. You know more about the the, the actual guy and the events that that ensued after he took on that project. I so I'm I'm interested to learn uh, about about Oppenheimer and all the inner workings he he went through, but um. I know the Manhattan Project. They, you know, they assembled all the the, the best minds that they could, because uh, the world was at war, and uh, they needed to to, to 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 sway this 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 war. And uh, if we wouldn't have created it, who knows what would have happened? You know what I mean? So we'll get into that too. There is some misconceptions and things that I used to think too. That um, after reading this, I'm, I, things became a lot clearer. Um, in terms of how things actually went down and the timelines of things and everything. So, yeah, we're going to go through it here. Um, I'm just trying to think. Uh, before we get started, too, if anybody has a... Uh, you want to make any suggestions for a candidate for this new Paradigm Shifters um, 
uh, series, you know, send me, I have a whole list of ones that I want to get to, but if you have an interesting one that, you know, maybe it's not on my list, I'll, I'll take a look at it. I can't make any guarantees, but if it's something that resonates with me, I'll definitely consider it. Um, and also we have not forgot about mysteries of metaphysics. We will be getting back to that as well as we, I still have part three ready to go for what was Soma, that series, uh, we'll be working on those as well going forward. And tap um, that like button, baby. Give us some love, you know, <laughs> tickle it and, uh, we'll, 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 we'll thank you later. <laughs> um, absolutely. Uh, and I just want to say for everybody that was patient to the last few weeks, we love all of our uh, fans and Patreon members and listeners and everybody. So thank you for being patient. And, uh, like I said, we're going to get back to it here. So, um, so a little bit about his early life and background. Um, he was, uh, he was like really interested in, in mineralogy and, and rock collecting since he was five. And actually, I think he, he was taken to some sort of like association, uh, I think in New York maybe, uh, when he was younger and he like blew people's minds with how much he knew about rocks at such a young age and stuff. So, um, he was just kind of like one of these, um, geniuses or, uh, savants from kind of like a young age. Um, you know, he skipped a few grades when he was younger. Um, I think he skipped like part of eighth grade and like third or fourth grade. So, I mean, he was obviously a smart dude. He went to Harvard for physics and studied under Bridgman. Uh, he went to Cambridge, studied under, uh, or went to Cavendish, um, and studied under the guy who split the atom. Let's see. He didn't like experimental physics, which I found was interesting. Um, when he became a little bit older, him and his brother um, would hang out at uh, in this part of you know the desert in New Mexico. Uh, they called it Perro Caliente, which means hot dog, and they would do horseback riding. They would smoke and drink and do all that kind of stuff. Um, he studied at the University of uh, Göttingen, I think that's how you pronounce that, Center for Theoretical Physics in Europe. Uh, let's see here. He also studied with Enrico Fermi, uh, Wolfgang Pauli, and Werner Heisenberg. Uh, he received his PhD in 1927 and was well-respected um, when it comes to quantum physics. Um, he wanted... Uh, to be like the American bridge uh, of these, because like Europe was killing it with these, um, with the, the physicists back in the day. And he wanted to be like this American, um, you know, bridge of, of knowledge uh, to connect to that. So um, he was early on in his life, he was a terrible, even though he was a professor, he was a terrible teacher, uh, but he eventually got better as he got older. Uh, and then a little bit later on, he had like groupies uh, that were students and they would hang out at his house and party almost like uh, think of something from like Animal House or something where like party the, all the time. Well, like the professors, you know, friends with the students or hanging out with the students kind of a thing. And, you know, it's kind of a cliche, uh, uh, but I mean, it's true. That's a classic scene, too. I love it. <laughs> uh, then you have the the great depression uh happened that actually didn't affect him because he had a trust fund i think his dad was like a wealthy i think had something to do with like textiles or something like that um but he noticed the effects that uh, the great depression had on on his students and he became a communist sympathizer um 
so you know some speculated he was a communist but i mean he he posits that he was just sympathetic to the cause um and a majority of his adult life adult life until he was 1940 uh he was supporting some of these uh smaller factions of the u.s of of communist organizations um but then he heard the horror stories coming from the soviet union um and then he also became associated with the manhattan project so he kind of shifted his philosophies on politics and uh economic systems and became more of a uh you know a patriot or somebody loyal to the u.s um so let's see here this is this is the 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 beef here uh the manhattan project um so there's a lot of interesting things i used to think about this that after reading this book i realized i didn't really know much about it at all um and i hear people talking about it too i think one of the most things that i hear when (laughs) when this is um talked about and i don't know if it's this is credited to joe rogan because he's talked about this a lot but the uh after they dropped the atomic bomb uh, he's quoted as saying, I've now I've become death destroyer of worlds, which is from the Bhagavad Gita. Um, and again, I don't know when exactly mm-hmm. that was popularized, but that did, um, that did come from that whole, uh, thing, but I'll read a couple passages that he quotes too, uh, that are, I think a little bit more interesting from the Bhagavad Gita. He was really into, uh, Eastern philosophy and Hinduism and the Vedas and that kind of stuff. And he would quote it, you know, uh, the, the Bhagavad Gita and Vedic texts a lot. Um, yeah. So, um, so that's pretty straight. Yeah. Um, the idea for creating the atomic bomb actually came from a race to win the war. So this wasn't like somebody, you know, uh, came across some sort of discovery and then they're like, Oh, I made a a new, you know, thing or whatever. Uh, this was specifically, uh, came out of this, this race to win the war. Um, and it went from semi-theoretical to a realistic possibility really quickly. Um, you know, his nickname, uh, Oppenheimer's nickname was Oppie. So if you hear me say Oppie, it's just Oppenheimer's nickname. Uh, the scientists during air that were part of the Manhattan project, they called they didn't call it the atomic bomb or whatever they called it the gadget, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, hmm. this thing's called the gadget. So h- how we got to that point though. So in 1939, three German physicists discovered nuclear fission. Um, and through that process, it then became, again, it went from theoretical to an actual possibility. Uh, Albert Einstein, who he, he got, uh, FDR's attention because he wrote a letter um, telling him that the Germans had reached out to him to join the race to develop the atomic bomb. However, Einstein um, was denied security clearance in the U.S. in 1940 because he was considered a pacifist. So, and he, he later on he would become critical, um, not of Oppenheimer, like they were friends, but um, he saw Oppenheimer's kind of spinning his wheels. Um, and and um, in regards to the political uh, forum with all this stuff, when he could have really just taken um, a step back and and not gotten as involved as he was. So we'll talk about that, though. 
Um, they developed the advisory committee on uranium, which they were just trying to um, enrich as much uranium and plutonium as possible. Um, I think I think I read too in there that you know, like all of the resources at this time from you know during World War II at this point were being funneled towards this project. So I, I know they needed a ton of silver. Uh, they needed to enrich the uranium and plutonium, so a lot of effort went into that whole thing. Um, one of the main other people from uh, the Manhattan Project was Lieutenant General Leslie Groves. Um, let's see here. He was born in 1896 and died in 1970. He was a United States Army Corps of Engineer. Um, he oversaw the construction of the Pentagon, and directed the Manhattan Project. Um, what? Let's see here. Um, so he was actually kind of close with Oppenheimer, and even though Oppenheimer kind of had a, um, you know, with the whole communist stuff back in the day, Groves kind of felt like he was trustworthy. He didn't really feel like he was somebody to be worried about. He felt like this guy cared about America, wanted to help the the cause, and. Um, you know, yeah, so that, that'll play into this whole thing later. And I think when the movie Oppenheimer comes out, what's that, guys? Is that Cillian Murphy that's playing Oppenheimer, I think? Um, Cillian Murphy. And then I think Leslie Groves in this, this movie is going to be played by Matt Damon, if I'm not mistaken. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, Cillian Murphy. Yeah. Um, the old scarecrow. <laughs> yeah, and actually, have you ever seen um, Peaky Blinders? No. Is it's it pretty, good? Yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. Of course, Matthew Modine's in this too. <laughs> and Emily Blunt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What does Emily Blunt play, Kitty? Yeah, yep. So Kitty is Robert, Robert Oppenheimer's wife. We'll get into that whole. That's a whole part of this thing too. So, um, so Oppenheimer joined the Manhattan Project in 1943. Um, he actually selected Los Alamos um, in the desert. So most people know Los Alamos now is like top secret or um, you know nuclear facility. But it used to be just an empty space in the desert, uh, and Oppenheimer knew that area well from horseback riding and, and just being in that area, um, and they selected Los Alamos. And then towards the end of the project, there was like 6,000 people living there, which was it was this like startup city in the desert, which I find kind of crazy mm. um, that this, you know, they picked this, this place in the desert and then turned it into something and now it's you know one of the most recognizable names when it comes to you know american technology and secrecy and stuff so um sweet they they definitely followed him they wiretapped him they spied on him of course you would imagine with all the security clearance and stuff that kind of stuff going on um what what i found was most interesting about this whole thing with the atomic bomb was that so 
you know, you hear about uranium all the time and whatever, but they had different options. I didn't know that this was the case, but there's different options when it comes to this. So Fat Man, uh, which, you know, is the most famous, uh, I think it was Hiroshima, was plutonium implosion. Um, but then Little Boy was uranium. So they had two different types right right there off the bat. Um and I think the Trinity was plutonium implosion as well, if I'm not mistaken. So in 19, or yeah, July, um, let's see here. Um, let's see, let me pull up the Trinity. Um, yeah, so Trinity uh, was July 16th, 1945. And, you know, the test could be seen, uh, the first test could be seen from three states. Wow. Um, the United States detonated 23 nuclear devices between 1946 and 1958 at seven different sites. Um, this was part of, but the, the, from 1946 to 1958 was at Bikini Atoll, um, which is a Pacific Island. Uh, and, um, they destroyed this Island and they've had to move the people off there a couple times, of course. Um, and they, they, those ones so this was after though the the 1946 that's after world war ii but they did keep testing uh from 1946 to 1958 um and you know they basically ruined uh this this island and uh they detonated them in the air underwater um so yeah um anyways so back to the atomic bomb so a b-29 the enola gay um dropped the first one on Hiroshima 66,000 people died um and then uh Nagasaki the second one was 44 deaths um basically um when you look at uh how all this kind of played out um the thing that that I didn't understand too is like so there was this other thing. I guess they dropped napalm on Tokyo and created some huge fire that like killed like a hundred thousand people too. So even though the bomb did tons of damage in like one fell swoop, um, they were like using napalm at that point, and that actually had a bigger effect, uh, which is scary. That's, in- that's intense. <laughs> um. So let's see here. Um, Uh, 1949, the Russians tested their first uh, bomb, um, and it was assumed that a spy must have been given tips uh, based on the U.S. program. This is important because we're going to get into that in a second. Um, so they p- specifically picked um, Los Alamos, and they built what's called S1. I'm sure you've heard of, like, S1, S2, S4, you know, like the Bob Lazar thing. I think that's S4, uh, the you know... Um, so yeah, um, so yeah, lots of secrecy stuff. Um, so you have JT Randall and Henry Boot, uh, they were the ones that, um, uh, developed radar during World War II. They were British scientists. Most people don't know this, but radar was also developed during World War II. So you have two massive innovations that happened during World War II that pertain to war. One being the atomic bomb, two being, uh, radar. Um, 
when it came to you know the the minds and the intelligence that was associated with uh, getting the best thinkers um, associated with the Manhattan Project, you had uh, Nels Bohr. Uh, he was snuck out of Europe. Um, I think he's from. Uh, look it up. That either was he from Denmark or uh, Nels Bohr, B-O-H-R. Um, was he from Denmark or is he from the Netherlands? I can't, I can't remember. Danish. Danish. Okay. Uh, and he, he was snuck out of Europe to help the Americans. But then when he came to America, uh, he wouldn't like, he spoke great to the press and they were like, Oh, what are you here for? And he's like, Oh, I'm here to help them create some sort of uh, new weapon or something. So he's already like leaking stuff out and he had a big mouth supposedly. Yeah. Um, so and there was a lot of negotiating between the scientists and the military to get this done. Um, obviously, scientists needed a certain process to happen, and the military were trying to keep everything together and organized and also secret. Um, and the scientists wanted to be comfortable, though, so they could get their stuff done, which was important, obviously, through the scientific method and bouncing stuff off of each other. Um, Oppenheimer taught at Berkeley prior to... Uh, the Manhattan Project. Um, let's see here. As I mentioned, General Groves was in charge. So there, there was two spies that were part of this program, or they were, you know, they were um, uh, communist sympathizers, Hall and Fuchs. They were Russian spies. Um, and in 1950, they were caught. Uh, so this is important too. So most people think that there couldn't possibly, like when we talk about like secrecy stuff, whether it be you know, this military stuff or UFOs or whatever. Uh, they think that everything is just so compartmentalized. There's no way information could ever get out. That Maybe that's the case with some things. I don't know. But what I found interesting was there were leaks as part of this. There was communication between people and sympathizers of other groups and organizations and countries and things like that. Uh, you did have people pretending to be uh, loyal Americans that were part of these programs that were spies and things like that. So that does happen. That's not just in the movies and that's not just made up. That stuff is real and it did happen. Um, the scientists that were part of the Manhattan Project were nervous about the implications of having and using the atomic bomb, obviously. Um, I mentioned the, the plutonium and, and uranium uh, enrichment and that took tons of time and resources. Um, Basically, Oppenheimer was the one that pushed hard for the implosion, um, the plutonium implosion design. So, again, they had different options, and Oppenheimer was the one that said, let's do this one. This seems like the most reliable. Um, and let's see here. So, yeah, the scientists, you know, I'll keep coming back to this, but, like, most of the scientists were, are obviously... Um, worldly people scholars uh they have a sense of history and um empathy and a lot of the scientists were super idealistic and and empathetic and that's where you get kind of like some of them being communist sympathizers or sympathizers of other countries and uh philosophies and things like that um but oppenheimer wanted the people like so we'll get into this but we didn't need to drop the atomic bomb, uh, meaning to win the war. I think that's a misconception. Uh, we had already, or Germany had already surrendered, and Japan was, we were, everybody was going after Japan, and they probably wouldn't have lasted very long. 
Uh, they were actually trying to negotiate, um, you know, a way out of this whole thing. So Germany surrendered, and then eight days later, Hitler killed himself, um, and they continued to work on the atomic bomb even after that happened, so that they hadn't even had it together at that point. Um, wow. So, is- yeah. Yeah, I mentioned the the napalm in Tokyo with the fire. Um, And then so through this process, another thing is Russia was not our necessarily our like super friendly allies, but they were kind of allies in the sense that Germany tried to invade them and they were obviously on the world's the the good team, you know, during World War Two. And they were also trying to, you know, create the atomic bomb. Uh, Germany was also trying to create the atomic bomb. They had Heisenberg, who I mentioned earlier. Um, Not Walter White. <laughs> Sorry, I've been watching a lot of Breaking Bad lately. Um, and uh, in terms of, you know, you look at uh, what what was happening in the world, that actually the U.S. developing the atomic bomb is kind of what created this arms race in the Cold War uh, yeah. between the U.S. and Russia. So we'll, that'll be an ongoing theme there, too. Uh, this guy, Salard, or Salard, tried to kill the Manhattan Project multiple times after he was the one that was an early proponent of it, uh, again, because he saw what was the potential of it. Uh, Oppenheimer wanted to warn the Russian ahead of the time of its use so he could like give some of these other countries a heads up, like, look, at this is what we have. We're going to use this kind of a thing. But uh, they didn't really do it in that way. Uh, again, it wasn't just Oppenheimer that like sat in a laboratory and created this thing. There was a huge project and like some of the top minds. So some of the famous names that people might recognize associated with the atomic bomb would be uh, Enrico Fermi, who's most f- famous, uh, I guess, when you hear Fermi's paradox, that's where that comes from. But he was a uh, Italian physicist. Uh, you had Richard Feynman, who I think a lot of people know who Richard Feynman is. Uh, Nels Bohr, who I mentioned earlier. Edward Teller, super famous. Compton, Condon. Condon is um, uh, from the Condon uh, report. He, the government hired him to basically debunk UFOs, which I find interesting. Um, Phil Morrison, and then there was others. Um, the scientists first thought of having, um, like, it came up during this process that the scientists had this idea to create an organization to check in and regulate, um, you know, nuclear materials and engineering, kind of like what you see now, like when you see the U.S. dealing with some of these other countries that are trying to develop nuclear technology, nuclear weapons, nuclear power plants, things like that. Uh, Mm -hmm. This is the idea for all that came during this time when they were developing the atomic bomb. Like, hey, this is going to be a thing. We need to have some sort of oversight to make sure this doesn't get out of control and people start getting crazy with this. So uh, I don't know. What do you think so far? It's all interesting. I, I I thought that the the bomb was the main proponent. I, I that that you know turned the tides of the war, but that just shows how ignorant I am in that regard. I didn't well, know I, it was after. That's why we're doing this. I mean, I I thought that too. I thought that that yeah. you know that's like hey this, you know. But no, we didn't even. Op, Oppenheimer wanted the first one at least to be dropped, um, just to show the world like hey, this is what we created. 
this is changing the future. This is changing the future of war. It's changing the future of humanity. This is important. This is huge. And if we're not careful, you know, he basically he didn't want to leave it just in like the military's hands. So it's some secretive thing where it's like they could bust it out, you know, in their own. Yeah, I also think that there's a big uh, misconception because it's it. If if you're under the if you're under the idea that you know we needed to drop it, it, it may less of a a bad move. You know what I mean? Like, oh, we needed to do this to end the war, right. rather than it was already kind of ended and uh, we didn't need to do it. That's that would probably push people off. You know, it's a, it just leaves a bad taste in your mouth. So you know, it's all about morals and. Uh, building up the, your, the way you perceive things and uh yeah it, it gives us like more of a, a reason to do it so I, I i totally understand how the history makes you believe that because i think a lot of people believe that we needed the bombs to win that well i mean in there's certain level and i don't want to say this in like a way but like propaganda like it was like hey let's um you know, I, I just feel like back then it was, there wasn't as many um, eyes and ears on that kind of a thing. Like now, I think you would have a very hard time getting away with creating that and doing that uh, now. Mm-hmm. If, it, if you were to do it now, right? Like there'd be so much more oversight. You'd have so many more people against it. You You would have people like knowing what was going on ahead of time, trying to prevent, you know, that kind of thing. So I think it, the time and the place was crucial in the sense that I don't know if that if somebody created that now if it could even be um totally. used without be having like some serious backlash so absolutely uh, but yeah I mean you mentioned it too I mean you you know you know about World War Two and stuff and I thought I did too until I read this book and I'm like oh I didn't know a lot of this actually so the truth came out <laughs> um what um what did you think um what did you think when you uh when what the part where i was talking about the scientists did you know that all those scientists were associated with this no not at all i just knew einstein had a part to to play he had a he had a, one of the smallest parts though all he did was write a letter because he they weren't they didn't allow him to really um, get in the mix because of his background and everything and the way he thought about the whole topic. Mm. Yeah. I, Cause the story that, that you get told is like, Oh, uh, if Hitler wasn't so against the Jews, then Einstein would have never came to America. And then the, the A-bomb would have never been built. At least that's the story that I heard. Well, and you're like, if, Oh if yeah. He, that makes if he a lot didn't, of sense. Yeah, if he didn't write that letter, though, I mean, it might not have been in FDR's subconscious or mindset. So I don't know. I mean, right. you could say so there is some truth to that, but I thought he had a massive hand in creating this thing, which no, that's horse pucky. Yeah. Um, where were we? Oh yeah, they created. They wanted to create some sort of organization of oversight um, for nuclear devices. Um. So the physics of the atomic bomb was going to be discovered soon, even if we didn't do it first. Um, this Again, this was a race. There was other countries looking into it. I think even the Japanese had their own um, atomic bomb um, uh, program. But they didn't have the resources and, and the personnel that we did. So that was a huge p- 
point of that. Um, the explosion was was going to reach ten to twenty uh, twenty thousand feet, and would be visually amazing as it was de- devastating. Um, you know, again, the, the plutonium implosion model. They called it the gadget. Clearly, it was it was a real gadget. Yeah. Um, Bob Wilson said that they were going to test um, test it, and they should invite the Japanese to show them what they were up against. Uh, and they considered hitting the Imperial Palace, which is kind of crazy um, if you think about. Um, That's yeah, that would have been intense. Um, but they were going to uh, also contact China, France, and a few other countries to show what they have created and they wanted suggestions and feedback. Um, but that never happened. Uh, the Japanese wanted to keep their emperor and constitution after surrender. That was their bargaining chip. So the Japanese were trying to come to terms with us with some sort of surrender. And, um, we, we said, no, <laughs> basically like <laughs> we're still, we're still coming after you. Um, which again, yeah. they that didn't need to happen. All those people didn't need to die. I think you know now we look at war a little bit differently. But back then, like how many innocent people died that they had no connection to, other than just living in a geographic location. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of messed up. Yeah, when you have more of a perspective on life too, like you look at it, you're just like these people. They first of all, they're fighting for their country the same as we are. They don't know what's right or wrong. They're getting fed lies so it's just like who's right who's wrong even the soldiers you know what i mean like i have uh i have remorse and i have uh empathy towards them but let alone the the the, the, i don't i don't know how many people were actually killed but hundreds of thousands in hiroshima and well i think a total well like if hundred thousand people in tokyo died from that napalm uh event and then like a hundred to one hundred fifty thousand total from the bombs. I mean, you're talking like two hundred fifty thousand just from those three things. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's quite a horror in our. Yeah, we won the war, but at what cost? I ask you, Michael. Oh my god! At gosh. what cost? General Seriously, Maurice though. over here. Um, I ought to. <laughs> I mean, you never. It's like it's insane though because you're just. When you when you get brought up in 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 school and stuff, you're you're just taught that America is a hundred percent right and like never question. We did it, we're the best. We did all the good things and stuff like that. And then you start to to really dig down deep and understand what's going on. And I don't know. I it, I think World War Two also it, it's got a big uh, a big big spot and a big uh, lesson in our in our playbooks because that's when. A lot of these UFOs and stuff. Obviously, we talk about a lot of UFOs, and that's when they were they started to way more sightings and things of that nature. So I don't know. I've always been drawn to it, and the more I learn about it, the more it becomes interesting. Hmm. Uh. So yeah, Oppenheimer picked the test site, um, and they dubbed it Trinity based on a John Donne poem. Uh. It's let's see here. Batter my heart, three personed, uh, God. And um, check that out. And the Bhagavad Gita, obviously, uh, the creator or the Brahma creator, Vishnu, and preserver uh, and Shiva, the destroyer. Um, they had, so it was like 18 by 24 miles, and they had to evict uh, ranchers for that uh, site. Mm-hmm. Um, Trinity was the code name. And uh, again, the first detonation. 
uh, test, or it was at 5.29 a.m. on July 16th, 1949. Um, General Groves wanted to preserve as much of the plutonium and materials as possible. Uh, let's, let's see here. Op, uh, Oppie's brother, or Oppenheimer, had a brother named Frank. Um, Frank was also like a physicist slash engineer. Um, you know, Oppenheimer was more in like the theoretical aspect of things. Um, and you know, Frank was more like, uh, somebody that takes things apart and puts them back together, kind of a person. Uh, and he worked in the radiation lab and helped with the Trinity site in the late May, 1945. So, uh, during this process, so again, people know the, the, op, uh, the quote from the Bhagavad Gita that Oppenheimer says where it's, I've become death, destroyer of worlds. But, uh, so there's a quote, it says, uh, from the Bhagavad Gita, it says, in battle, in forest, at the precipice in the mountains, on the dark great sea, in the midst of the javelins and arrows, in sleep and confusion, in the depths of shame and good deeds a man has done uh, before defend him. Uh, Oppenheimer translated that quote from Sanskrit uh, from the Bhagavad Gita. So. Wow. So again, yeah, I, I mean, look, got, I, I got to see big boy and little. I don't know if they were the shells. Did you ever see those when we went and took our class trip to D.C.? We no, they have them in a museum. I, I got don't in know trouble. what they are. I, think they're just I went the to shells. a different middle school and I got in trouble and I wasn't allowed to go on that trip. Yeah, I'm sure you did. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, but yeah, the whole thing. I mean, look, I just keep thinking about like the innocent Japanese people, um, and I know a lot of people died in World War II. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, tons of people died. Obviously, all the people Hitler killed, which is disgusting. Uh, and then all the people um, that were just innocent bystanders. I just, I don't know, it sucks to think about that that many people um, were subjected to that. But I guess hopefully we can get beyond this whole warring phase of humanity and move on to some sort of peaceful phase. I mean, I guess... Yeah, we'll we got to rise above, baby. But... Um, so, you know, during the test site, they took bets on whether it would work. Um, they were actually concerned that it might ignite the atmosphere, believe it or not, that this bomb could ignite the whole atmosphere and create some sort of uh, um, massive issues for the planet. Um, so that that was uh, like a serious concern of theirs. Uh, but then they, they somebody created some sort of um, model or mathematical uh, uh, equation that, they, they didn't think that that was going to happen eventually. So, Well, that just uh, goes to show our smart how smart we are. It's like, we don't know what the hell is going to happen. Let's drop this bomb. We might kill the whole world. Right. So, well, I mean, I the, world, the world was at war. There was a lot of, I mean, think about it. What's that show? Um, it was like Man in the High Castle where it's like, what yeah. would happen if, if Germany and Japan won the war? And it's like, like a dystopian future kind of a thing. Um, yeah. And I mean, you could, you could say maybe that that's you know, I mean, Germany and Japan have bounced back. I mean, um, and I think that they understand their own history, and it seems like they're not very fond of the things that they've done in the past. And I don't think we're very fond of the things that we've had to do in the past either. So, yeah, until they try it again. Well, um, Richard Feynman was ha uh, so like during like the the Trinity test, Richard Feynman was handed dark glasses. But he denied them and then observed through the truck windshield. Uh, they saw they saw a white flash that turned into yellow, 
and then turned into man-made thunder on the horizon. Bob Serber was uh, was observing using welding glasses. Uh, He was still blinded and saw a a violet column. Um, The night turned into day and a chill turned into warmth, but then the darkness returned with a purple glow. Um, Frank and Oppie, um, it had penetrated their eyelids. It was very bright and purple. Frank worried it was going to engulf them. Um, and most terrifying thing was that the purple was the purple electric cloud, uh, that ensued. Uh, Oppenheimer grew tense and it was about to go off and his face relaxed in relief at the moment of detonation. Um, afterwards he had what was known as a high noon strut, uh, and he described his emotions, um, in pedestrian terms to a reporter and said um, unborn people would owe their life to it. So obviously he thought he was doing something. So we mentioned all these innocent lives that were lost. So supposedly <coughs> he's saying that um, by using this thing, it might bring some sort of maybe end of the war or order afterwards that more people will live because of it as opposed to dying in the future. So I don't know. Yeah, you always give yourself these uh, these ideals that if I didn't do this, then more people are gonna die and all that kind of stuff. It's it, it's tough. It's complicated. It's it's hard to uh, to put yourself in those shoes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it says. Uh, oh, so then then you have the famous quote um, that everybody says, um, which was, "Now I have become death, destroyer of worlds." Which is true. Um, The boom came 100 seconds after the flash. Uh, Ken Bainbridge was heard saying, now we are all sons of bitches. Um, (laughs) uh, Feynman was supposedly afterwards on the hood of a a Jeep beating his bongos. Um, They were all happy it worked, but then afterwards, like shortly afterwards, it set in that this was a serious weapon and it was going to be used to kill a lot of people in the war. Um, again, there's is as great of an achievement as this is, there's also a very somber side of it, and you'll see this and how it weighs on Oppenheimer uh, in a few minutes here. Um, so, as I mentioned before, they wanted to alert some of the other countries ahead of time, or at least that's what the scientists wanted to do. Uh, but I guess Truman... Um, casually mentioned this to Stalin when they had a meeting uh, that we had a new weapon and Stalin wished him well and uh, um, basically kind of like overlooked the fact that what was being told to him. Um, Oppenheimer regretted that we didn't use it to kill Hitler or used it on Hitler and the Nazis. That was one of his main regrets is that it was used on Japan after Hitler had already killed himself and um, the Nazis had surrendered. Um, Oppenheimer's mood and personality had changed, uh, permanently going forward after this, obviously. So now we get to after the war and the Manhattan Project. Um, after the war, he was deciding to teach again, uh, at Berkeley or Caltech and he chose Caltech, um, which he had links to both of those, um, while he was still contracting for the government. Um, he was very depressed, um, as anybody would sure. be just the thought that you created this thing that had such, you know, again, it was good for the U S and 
you know, our allies and a lot of the people in the world, but you're still killing a lot of people. So even if it's justified, um, which I don't think there's any justification killing innocent people, but let's just say he had just killed military people. Even if it was just military people, I don't know how that wouldn't have a severe um, psychological effect on you. I think that would. Yeah, because again, they they think the same thing you do that your country's the the best. So right. it's not like they're it's not like they're like I don't know it's weird. Um. And then so then you have the development of the Atomic Energy Commission and the McMahon Act. Um, Oppenheimer was elected to. Um, uh, the General Advisory Committee uh, on this topic, um, which he, you know, had a good reason to be. Uh, let's see here. The other people that were on this committee were Lilenthal, James Conant, Enrico Fermi, I.I. Uh, I. Robbie, uh, Harley Rowe, and Lee uh, DeBridge. Um, let's see here. So, again, the through this process of, of dropping and testing these bombs, um, Oppenheimer was very worried about an arms race with Russia, and that's exactly what happened. So um, he saw that coming. In 1946, Stalin gave a speech about um, rearming and worried about espionage. Um, let's see here. There was Berkeley campus spies, um, and then the, the U.S. government let Oppenheimer know about a Canadian spy scandal uh, about a British physicist in Montreal who worked for the Soviets. And then we get to this thing. This is probably one of the most important things because this is part of his downfall. Um, there's this thing called the Chal uh, uh, Chal uh, Chavalier affair. Um, he had this friend, uh, Chavalier something. I don't know how to pronounce that, but he had a friend named Hoken uh, Chavalier, I believe is his last name. And um, he met with him while he was doing the Manhattan Project. And Hoken was part of, like, uh, I think, a communist organization, or at least had ties to it. And this other guy, Eltonton, had pressed uh, Hoken to ask Oppenheimer if they could pass information on to the Soviets. And um, Oppenheimer, of course, turned them down uh, and turned it down. But he didn't, like, report it the way that it exactly happened supposedly to um you know his his advisors which was leslie groves and then later on that'll come back to bite him because um you know you have you'll have mccarthy and the red scare coming up here which will be important but um so this idea that he was trying to protect his friend who was a, still a communist uh by not disclosing all this information about being approached by him that that had a, a serious effect even though he didn't do anything um that would be considered questionable it's still just even not even addressing it and letting your advisors know uh was a big deal so uh let's see here oppenheimer was friends with george marshall um uh, let's see here. Oppenheimer got a little cocky after the war. Um, OWI was uh, on to Hoken, as I mentioned, his friend Hoken. Um, let's see here. Hoken returned to Berkeley uh, as, and then moved to Nuremberg as a translator uh, during the trials. Uh, Berkeley denied uh, Hoken his tenure. Um so George Eltonton and Hoken were questioned by the FBI about Oppie 
during the war. Uh, the Russians wanted photos um, during the, the process of the you know creating the atomic bomb, and Hokan signed an, acad- uh, an affidavit. Um, uh, let's see here. Um, Hokan also wondered how the FBI knew all of this. Um, so Oppie told Hokan that he told them. However, he did not disclose all the information that would uh, implicate him uh, with any sort of serious allegations. Uh, the Eltonton scheme, which is the scheme to get Oppenheimer to uh, help out or pass information along to the Soviets, uh, was in 1943 uh, when Chevalier was uh, asked. Oppenheimer said that that was treason and he wanted no part of it. Um, so then we get to this guy named Louis Strauss. So Louis Strauss is will become kind of the downfall of Oppenheimer. Um, Strauss uh, asked Oppenheimer to be the head of the Institute of Advanced Studies at Princeton, um, which the advanced studies uh, at Princeton was Einstein's home. Um, so, I mean, you... You know, you see these movies of like Einstein, like riding his bike around like Princeton or whatever. Uh, uh, Einstein's home uh, or like home place was the Institute of Advanced Studies and Oppenheimer became the head of it. There's actually and all afterwards when we're done with this episode, I'll add a couple. There's a very few movie or like interview clips with Oppenheimer. But one of them is specifically him talking about this Institute of Advanced Studies uh, which you have all these like brilliant people that he's talking about that are like kind of up and coming and they eventually become geniuses. So I'll try and add that to the, a link to the bottom after the episode. But um, so he was given this house or this estate uh, called Olden Manor uh, as he took over the position of the head of the uh, Institute of Advanced Studies. Um, sometime during the war, uh, he had an affair with this woman named Ruth Tolman. Uh, for you know, who was 11 years older than him, and she was a psychologist. So this is something that will be used against him later on too. He definitely uh, had affairs with women um, and slept around and stuff like that. Uh, but you know, he kept it all under wraps until it came out when during his security clearance hearings. <laughs> um, let's see here. So they they had to investigate Oppenheimer again because of the Chevalier affair. Uh, but they didn't feel they needed to dev- uh, deny uh, Oppenheimer's security clearance. The FBI would not renew Frank's clearance, however. Frank, his brother, uh, was more deeply entrenched with the whole communist movement back then. Um, in 1947, um, uh, Oppenheimer was given a Q clearance, um, and he still felt like a marked man, however. Uh, Hoover was coming for him uh, because of his communist past. Uh, so now we move on to, so everybody knows the atomic bomb. This is the other thing that gets conflated. Now they start to work on something called the hydrogen bomb or the H bomb. Um, Oppenheimer's because of the Manhattan project and the way that that made him feel, uh, did not want anything to do with the hydrogen bomb or the process of creating the hydrogen bomb. Uh, yet we still went on with the whole project, and, and then in November of 1952, we tested Mike, uh, which was the first uh, hydrogen bomb. Um, <clears throat> did you know that about the hydrogen bomb? Yeah, I knew it was after, and we've never have we have we never used that on anyone, <clears throat> though, right? 
I mean, we've done a shitload of tests, but yeah, I don't know if we've, I don't think we've ever dropped one. Um, November 1953, the FBI received a letter saying Oppenheimer was a communist spy, most likely more due to his opposition. This was more likely due to his opposition of the hydrogen bomb project that, you know, somebody sent this letter. Oppenheimer's security clearance was revoked and there was an investigation by a three-man panel. Uh, this was during the McCarthy Red Scare too. So um, the whole McCarthy witch hunt thing, this is where Oppenheimer gets taken down somewhat. So um, just a side note, you know, Oppenheimer was going through some serious issues. He was depressed and like earlier in his life, he was told he was schizophrenic from a doctor. However, he refuted the diagnosis and refused any sort of, you know, I, based on what I've read, I didn't get that vibe about him. So, I mean, in psych, psychiatry and psychology are in um, way different places than they were back then as well. So yeah. his brother Frank was blackballed after the war um, because he was a communist and could not uh, get a teaching job, especially back at Berkeley um, he was, um, he was harassed and he retreated to his cow farm with his wife, uh, and he made a living as a rancher. Um, he never ratted anybody out, even though they made him, you know, they made his life hell, basically. Uh, Kitty, who was Robert's wife, was a serious alcoholic and a mean and aggressive person. Uh, Robert knew she had issues and he acted as her personal, like, psychologist. Uh, however, he relied on her as his confidant. Um, so, you know, he, he knew that he could always talk to her about all this stuff. Uh, Louis Strauss, who was the AEC chair and in charge, um, uh, since there was a Republican president at that, that point, um, they were just cranking out nuclear weapons. Um, so Louis Strauss was kind of this, like, I think, I think Robert Downey Jr. is playing him in that new Oppenheimer movie, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, I didn't uh, see his name on any of that stuff, but maybe he's a supporting actor. Yeah, so look up Louis Strauss, Strauss um, in there. Um, <clears throat> so FBI Director Hoover, Admiral Strauss, uh, and McCarthy considered looking into Oppenheimer more deeply because of all these past uh, connections to communism. Uh, Strauss and Borden colluded to go after Oppenheimer. Strauss gave Borden um, and Laplante what they needed to prepare a report in 1953. Uh, the AEC voted 4-1 to one that he was loyal to the U.S., but they also voted 4-1 to one that he was a security risk, uh, so they had to revoke his secu uh, security clearance one day before it was set to ex uh, expire. So here's the man that helped us create the atomic bomb to win a war um, at the cost of his own mental health and um, uh, ideals. And now we're, we go we do the witch hunt thing and go after him because of his history, even though we clearly um, didn't do any of the things they said they did uh, because this, these idiots uh, who were in charge, you know, and, and later on Strauss will get called out and uh, taken down couple notches as well but uh it just sucks yeah, that... yeah downey is playing strauss okay uh so in 19 um or let's see here oh so 282 los alamos scientists sent a letter protesting um them revoking uh, oppenheimer's security clearance um, oppenheimer became more famous after the trial 
than he was before the trial, which he was already pretty famous. Um, and lots of people came to his defense. Um, it was said that McCarthyism got Oppenheimer without actual McCarthy coming after him, which was kind of interesting. It's true. I mean, they came after him for being a communist, but it wasn't McCarthy. They didn't want him av having anything to do with this process. So, um, so and, and Oppenheimer kind of let this whole thing go down without a big fight. He didn't really put up a massive fight or um, kind of go against the whole thing like you would imagine somebody in that position um, I noted here in my notes, it was very S S Socrates-like in the sense that, you know, we've talked about this before, um, Socrates was, um, uh, accused of corrupting the youth of Ap Athens and his punishment was death. Um, and, you know, Socrates could have gotten away. Um, he had a couple people trying to get him out of Athens and, um, he could have gotten out of the situation, but he decided to almost like a martyr. He just decided like, you know, I'm going to make a point through this. Um, and it seemed like Oppenheimer was going to do a, a similar thing here. Um, the Kennedy administration, when they came into power, they tried to help restore Oppenheimer's reputation. Uh, they gave Oppenheimer the Enrico Fermi award. Uh, and then, um, he, after that, he resigned from Princeton and the Institute of Advanced Studies one year before his retirement. And this is towards the end. He eventually, uh, got lung cancer from, or yeah, lung cancer from years of smoke, uh, smoking. It spread to his esophagus, uh, in 1967, he was told it was spreading quickly and aggressively, um, Let's see here, 1972, or 1967, I'm sorry. He died at 62 uh, from throat cancer. Uh, he died in his sleep, um, and uh, he was cremated. His wife, Kitty, died uh, in 72 from an embolism, and her ashes were scattered uh, in the ocean and near St. John's. So him and his wife vacationed a lot in the island of St. John's. And then, um, sad, but like her, his daughter too, his daughter, Tony hung herself and she was never married or whatever. She wanted to have a profession in the FBI, but she was denied because of her father's past, um, complications with the security stuff. So lots of tragedy towards the end. It's almost like some sort of like family karma thing, right? Um, you know, whether you believe in karma or not, if you put out something like that, um, I would find it hard to believe that you would have an, some sort of amazing life after you did something like that, where it was needed, it was actually good in some ways, um, it was bad in other ways. I just don't find the situation as like anyone coming out of that like stellar, right? I mean, I don't, how do you think about that? Yeah, yeah, it could be. Again, you know, they say like that stuff passes through your DNA too, so who knows? Well, I'm just saying, like, like think about it, like, just the the energy that you put out afterwards, like, you know, he was very depressed, they were coming after him, you know, a whole thing, um, you know, you know, I, I also think, like, obviously being a, a smoker, you know, is not a good thing that contributed, but, like, was there any sort of radiation from the bombs, you know? Was yeah, there that's a any, good point, yeah. Was there any sort of other, you know issues with that kind of stuff i don't know right um but yeah just a very sad somber end to what was kind of like a uh interesting life of an interesting man and lead up to something that uh helped shape the world to where it is today 
Uh, one thing I will say um, from watching like a couple of videos on him talk, the ones that are on um, YouTube and stuff, he he seemed like a very, even though, yeah, he, he definitely cheated on his wife. He definitely created the atomic bomb. There was still something like very good in him that you could tell he was tortured by some of these things that he had done in his life. Um, and that I don't know necessarily know if it's regret, uh, but it just felt like somebody who knew that they had to do something, but by doing those things that it would not turn out in their favor kind of a thing. So, yeah, you know, I think everybody has good and bad within them and it's just, it's up to you to, to choose what path you're going to go down. That's, that's, that's the way it is. I'm, I mean, this whole thing though, like, you know, this has changed the way we do war. It's changed the way we can create energy. It's changed the way, um, everything. I mean, think about like what war was like in world war one with like trenches and the person to person battle, you know, like even go back, not even that much further, like a hundred years before that dudes were still running at each other with like bayonets. And, That's how uh, war should be, baby. <laughs> The guns that that the guns are for are for the weak. It should be hand to hand swords. That's what I'm talking about. Jeez, you're taking a it all the way heart. back to, to Viking stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, because then because then the no, real but I, power I mean, will think about like even like the, the Revolutionary War, like how or like Game of Thrones for that matter. Like like think about Game of Thrones. They just line up in a line and like you're done if you're in the front line. It's that's yeah. What well, I think the Revolutionary War we actually started to break that mold. That's what what allowed us to yeah we to did kind of beat those numbers. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I, again, I'm more of a simpleton in that regards. I think we should if we go back to the old school hand to hand combat, then the real victors will will go the spoils, if you will, because anyone can drop a bomb and and obliterate. You know, now it's more about technology and all that stuff. Well, that's like, what I'm saying. That's the that's changed the landscape of everything that we know it to be. For thousands of years, it was conducted in a somewhat similar way. Maybe there was different weapons and and evolution mm-hmm. of weapons but it was kind of still conducted in the same way and here's this dude it's like here you can create this thing that'll literally light up the sky for miles around you know you well that's like that i mean that's the cold war it's a battle of the mind it's not it's not about the brute force anymore it's more about who what kind of who do you have on your side and who what kind of brains do you have working behind all that and- well that was the other thing too when we when everybody found out that we had created this atomic bomb everybody's like we got to get all the scientists let's let's gather up all the scientists yeah. we can get from whatever countries we can get it became like a race to get the top thinkers and minds in the world because that's where everything was going was science you know um mm-hmm. breakthroughs in technology and science is where everything's at even now i mean who knows what kind of crazy stuff they're doing with AI and robots and stuff behind the scene. So, yeah, it's a, it's it's an interesting one. So we're gonna be doing more more on this guy, or what's? Well, no, just. <clears throat> this oh yeah, yeah. A... People who change the paradigm. I yeah, see. paradigm shifters. You know, like anybody that has, you know, you could say like here. Let me pull up a list of ones that I wrote down. That I. Uh... Do you have anybody off the top of your head you can think of that you might want to add to the mix? Uh... Well, we do, uh, hmm. 
it, it i mean I, I i i'm more focused on like the arts and stuff so i would say like in, especially in yeah, my could, uh, be, could be an artist in my realm it would be Doesn't like an alfred be. hitchcock you know he he definitely changed the paradigm of movies and what they could be and the way people told the story so yeah so i, I, I would love to like, do one on him that'd be yeah fun. i would i would do that you know you could say like maybe like a plato or a socrates oh yeah G- absolutely G- yeah. giordano bruno steve jobs yeah mm-hmm. jerry Good. garcia cool um you know thor yeah, we could definitely have fun with einstein mm-hmm. galileo yeah there's a ton of them we could do so that's cool but yeah, I mean, these don't have to be like super long, intense. And actually, uh, the book American Prometheus is a super long. I don't know. I, I downloaded the audio uh, book version because I can do multiple things at once when I listen. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely worth a read. Uh, I really, it's one of the better books I've read in a long time, uh, nonfiction. And I read mostly nonfiction, so. Well, it looks like the movie's coming out next July, so we'll have to do a review of the movie. I'd be, I'm very interested to see what what, what this is all about. I bet you it's going to be sick. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, has Christopher Nolan ever made anything that's shitty? Um, he's made some things that are subpar, but you know, for the most part, they're always a, a, a very nice cinematic, cohesive piece. It's just, I guess, it's what what do you gravitate more towards, you know? Yeah. So it's going to be sweet, but. Hopefully it's not very convoluted, but mm-hmm. I think that the story's kind of—I don't know—it's interesting that let's. It'll be interesting to see how he, he takes on something that's a true story, rather than most of his work that are you know. Yeah, I, I don't works. know if I read that this is going to be his last movie or one of his last movies or something. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Well, he might be going out with a bang. No <laughs> pun intended. Pun oh. intended. But again, definitely check out American Prometheus, which is the biography of uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer. And the J at the beginning of his name, I don't even know if I mentioned it, it's Julius. Julius mm. Robert Oppenheimer. He's got himself his own song. Yeah. A fish tune. <laughs> um, don't take another step. Um, no. But I, I really... Like I said, I, I learned a lot about World War II from reading this book, um, and I cross-referenced things, you know, too. I, I read um, a couple other small biographies or short biographies on Oppenheimer, as well as, you know, watching all the YouTube videos and commentary and uh, things like that, and just reading through, you know, different pieces of information and uh, very interesting stuff. And again, I don't think it went down people thought that it did and there was definitely spy stuff happening and um yeah it's just it's amazing that um the narrative that people think that they have is a kind of like similar right like i think most people would probably think that we dropped the atomic bomb to end world war ii right yeah yeah i'll have to talk to my cousin he's a big world war ii dude too and i you know i thought i knew a lot but the more you dig in the more you see how much there is to know um so yeah, that's an interesting aspect. And then the the types, you know, I didn't know that there was, you know, I knew about there's obviously plutonium and uranium, but I didn't know that they were trying to debate whether which one would be more effective and reliable and whatever. And uh, yeah, the uh, plutonium implosion one was the the game changer. Um, but yeah, uh, I you know, and they go through a lot of. 
um, Oppenheimer's connection to, you know, like I said, like Eastern philosophy, Hinduism, the Bhagavad Gita, they mentioned a bunch of his quotes and philosophies and how it correlates all this stuff. So it's a really interesting look on the topic. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's pretty much all I got on this. Um, but yeah, I look forward to more of these episodes on these top thinker types. Um, and yeah. Awesome. So just for a reminder, this Wednesday at 2.30 Eastern, um, we are joined by um, Bobby Azarian, who is the author of The uh, Romance of Reality. Um, check out his book. Um, if you like physics and the origins and, you know, the universe and stuff like that, definitely a great book. Um, and yeah, bunch of stuff up and we're going to try and get one in. Um, I know I'm trying to work with Laura from Megalith Hunter to get a date solidified maybe this week or next week, uh, to have her back on. And we're going to have a couple other people. We're going to have some people I've met from, uh, you know, Twitter, uh, doing Twitter spaces as well on coming up here. And I've also talked to our top escapee, Sandy, and she's going to come on as a guest one of these days as well. Nice. And, uh, yeah, so we got some cool stuff coming up. Beautiful. But, uh, yeah, if anybody wants to support our show, I'm not going to go through the spiel. Uh, hit the link tree link down below. Um, and also, oh, I wanted to add this. If you watch our stuff on YouTube, I so now we're going to offer, you know, how we do our exclusive or for our $2 tier on Patreon, we're going to, we offer, uh, the exclusive episodes and extensions and stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. I have the same thing going on YouTube now. So you can sign up to get exclusive content through our YouTube. If you don't want to do the Patreon thing and you just want to watch the videos, uh, or extensions of our episodes or our interviews, our exclusive, uh, guests, you know, segments and stuff like that. Uh, you can sign up for our $2 thing on YouTube and I'll upload those, uh, the same way I'll do on Patreon when those come up. So if you would rather just do that through YouTube, that's on there now as well. Uh, it's just $2 for the exclusive content. Um, and, uh, yeah, but yeah, if you want to support the show, hit the link tree link. We've got a merch store, uh, like our stuff, follow us on, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, leave us a nice review on Spotify or iTunes. Um, yeah, check out Maurice's band Dogo, D-O-E-G-O-E. Maurice and I have some sort of dueling guitar thing happening on social media, on Instagram. If you want to watch each of us um, rip it up on guitar a little bit, uh, follow Mindscape Podcast or follow Dogo. Yeah, I mean, I got to get on the, the Mindscape thing if it's going to be a. No, it's no, going to no. be a battle. We're going to have a we're going to have a shred off. <laughs> All right. I think you saw what you're up against with that latest uh, funky bitch, bitch clip. Yeah, I mean, I I I play fucking I I just write songs, bro. I don't uh -huh. claim to be any kind of dude. Guitar I heard virtuoso. I heard you said you're the best virtuoso that's ever. Yeah, heard. I'm sure. Um, no, you're dude. You I I've seen you do some some shredding lately. Some shred before bed. Oh, it's before bed. All right. What do you What do you do? What do you play in the background? Is that are you just playing like fish clips or like jams in the background and then jamming over it? Well, there's a there's a YouTube channel called Now You Shred, and they have all kinds of they're they're like mock versions. Like one will be like, you know, jam and Mixolydian fish style, and then mm. there's like you know there's fish, there's blues. Check oh, out that cool. site; it's pretty yeah. sweet. I'll check that out. 
I mean, I would yeah, like I just, to get a, 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 a delay pedal and then kind of make my own thing like you did. That'd be cool, but that was it's a, fun uh, to have drums and shit. I just recorded that on Logic and just played it at the same time. But, yeah, I'm actually prob- – I was looking at delay – or not delay – I was looking at um, uh, loop pedals because I used to have, like, two different loop pedals, and I got rid of them, uh, but I was looking at that ditto um, – yeah, I'll probably get something. I mean, I'm about to lose that my amp. I gotta buy my own amp. My buddy's been up my ass to get his amp back. Which... Why don't you get this one that I have? This thing's perfect. I mean, how how big do you need it? Because can you mic it up for your gigs? What gigs? I thought you guys were playing gigs. <laughs> no, but this this Black Star one watt. They make a five watt one too. If you need a little bit more juice, but this. I mean, you heard this thing. It's pretty crisp. Yeah, absolutely. I might just get this Blues Junior though. I like it. That's good too. Yeah. The I mean, thing I don't like about the Blues Junior though, like the this Black Star has a clean channel where you can go fully clean. The Blues Junior, you have to cr- the more second you start cranking the gain up for the volume because you need it for the volume, it starts to dis- starts to distort. So you can't really get like a higher clean volume. This on has there. pretty. This has a lot of headroom. There's a vol. There's a normal volume and then there's a gain channel. It's oh. the Blues Junior. It's Deluxe. like the. No, uh, yeah, maybe, but it's the third edition. Okay. I don't know. It's pretty sweet. They yeah, have a newer yeah. I one. I used to have a Blues Junior, though, where you had to turn up for the volume. You had to turn up the gain, and when you turned up the gain, it would start to break. The tubes right, start to break right. up. No, there's definitely headroom on this thing. There's two channels. Um, I mean, I whatever I jam on, it's at two. Yeah. And the gain is in I have, like, the boost on. And then I right. just have the tube screamer, so I don't know. It's it's good. It's fair. It's it's loud as hell, and it's at two. But I'm just yeah. jamming in my living room. What do you use? What tube screamer are you using? TS seven. Yeah, TS7? yeah, yeah. I have this TS eight hundred eight, the SRV one, the vintage reissue. That thing rips. They I make mean, a I... hand wired one. They make a point to point hand wired one that's phenomenal too. It's like a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, I was looking at the hand wired. Uh, what is it? The can't remember the names of the, the amps, but they're like twice the price. Oh, Marshall? No, it was a Fender. It was like the, it's not the Deluxe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, all, they started doing that towards the end of when I started working at Guitar Center, offering all these hand-wired wire, point-to-point contact amps. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, again, I mean they sound good. I don't love Marshall. Good, but I wouldn't even notice the difference, so the the hand wired Marshall ones and I don't like Marshall amps but the hand wired Marshall ones the combos sound really good actually um, but yeah good stuff but yeah if you want to see us jam check out our our designated uh, our designated uh, uh, channels. Instagram channels and also TikTok I started uploading stuff on our TikTok Maurice has got TikTok on for Dogo mm-hmm. um, yeah and you've been doing that that uh songwriters in the round thing right yeah you just i just did it once but maybe we'll do it again next year yeah you uh that tony guy's got a really good voice yeah he did really good again i was it's the first time i ever played just by myself i was a little nervous but it's cool to just break it down and just do everything acoustically it's like a different different sound to the whole tune which is you know it's nice to get it down to the bare bones and stuff it was fun yeah Sounds good. Yeah, your your all your stuff sounds good. And check out Maurice's band's newest stuff. Go check. I have the link down below. Sweet. Um, yeah, and this guy's winning awards and stuff now for his music video. So check that out. Yes, sir. Congratulations we'll on that. Local ones here. Yeah. 
And we got our documentary in the works. We're finally getting to the full edit mode here, and it looks like uh, I think we got will, all the submissions. This thing will be in. coming down to the wire for 2022. <laughs> <laughs> we got a lot of people involved, which I like. I, I like that a lot of people are involved because um, I like the different perspectives, and I like all the people. So we did the trailer. Um, what was that? A couple months ago, mm-hmm. we put out the trailer. And since then, we've added like six more people. So um, look for an updated trailer um, when Maurice gets done with that, and we'll put that back out, as well as an up- updated title because of the whole Saucer Co. UAP fiasco. If we wanted to create a shirt based on our own documentary name, I don't want it to be potentially taken down because of some sort of copyright BS. So look for that. Uh, but again, thank you to everybody. We love everybody. And uh, stay safe out there. We'll catch you next time. Peace. Peace.